This is the last uh, sermon in regards to uh, Joshua, and especially as it relates to the sermon uh, series that we've been looking at. We've seen Joshua um, really just be able to face just about everything. He faced disappointment. He faced uh, difficulty. He faced enemies. He faced obstacles. And it seems like everything that he encountered... Everything that came his way, he approached it with faith. It's remarkable. And that's why I wanted to take the time to be able to share with you these events because even though we may never be the commander of the Lord's army or have the position that Joshua had, we can still face the same difficulties, obstacles, disappointments um, that Joshua faced. And hopefully we'll be able to have taken something from uh, this series and, and provide for us tools uh, that can help us to be able to overcome these things. You know, out of all of the things that he faced, the disappointment, the difficulty, uh, the obstacles, the, the enemies, out of all those things that he faces and was prepared for through his faith in God, we find the last thing that he faces, the last obstacle that he faces, it appears to be death. Joshua has come to the point in his life where he's going to die and he knows it. In chapter 23, he says, I'm about ready to go the way of all the earth. And what he's meaning by that is that in him going all the way across the world means that I'm going to die. That's what he means. My life is going to be over. I'm getting ready to go into the grave. But before we look at his approach to death and and what kind of a legacy he left, I want us to focus on a couple verses. Now, whenever I'm speaking on a person's life, Um, and doing a character study, as I have in Joshua, we have to be able to realize that I'm not going to be able to discuss every event that he ever did, everything uh, that is attributed to him. So I've had to skip over some of the things and not be able to uh, necessarily build a message around it. But I want to take a second. You may want to jot these down for those of you that have, have appreciated this life of Joshua. The first verse I want you to jot down is Joshua 18.3. Joshua 18.3, what happens here, what tells us a lot about Joshua, is as the people had gone into the promised land now, that they were beginning to become lax in, in, in uh, dominating the remaining, the remaining part of the land. They had failed to go in and take their inheritance in full. They had become comfortable with where they were, with what they had, and they had not explored and, and accepted all of the full property that God had given them. So in Joshua chapter 18, verse 3, Joshua gives them the uh, opportunity to uh, be spurred on. He says, go, get back out there and get the land that God promised you. So he was a great leader in that he spurred them on. Notice the second thing in Joshua 21, verse 43 to 45. Great, great verse. It reminds us that the promise was fulfilled. Genesis, or Joshua 18, he's telling them to go out and get the land, possess the remaining part of the land that God has given you. But then in Joshua chapter 21, it tells us that the promise, the campaign was done. That they had, had received all of the land, they had incorporated it, they had taken it, it was theirs. And we always love when a campaign begins But there's a special joy reserved when the campaign is fulfilled. So Joshua 18, he spurs them on. Joshua 21, the campaign is fulfilled. Which leads us to Joshua chapter 23 and 24. I want to show you in chapter 23 for just a moment. I want you to see what he says in verse 14. He says, Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls... 
that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Jump over to chapter 24 with me for a moment. In Joshua chapter 24, he begins this farewell address. And he starts out in the first 13 verses, he starts out by recapping God's promise to his people. He reminds them that it began with Abraham and God's faithfulness never failed. And he reminds them of all that God had done in bringing them out of Egypt by the plagues and and by the hand of Moses leading them across the Red Sea. And he reminds them of God's continued providence, protection, and presence in their lives. So he's done all of this to set the stage to say this is how good God has been to you. And then he turns to them. After he has made his case and laid it all out, people's exhibit A to them on how good and how faithful God has been to them. He turns to them and says, now you be faithful to God. God has done all of this. God has done everything that He said He was going to do. God has used you, has blessed you, has given to you abundantly, and now He turns to the people. And in chapter 24, in His farewell address, He says, now you, you be faithful to God. Notice verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is He who brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did great things and signs and wonders and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites, whose land we dwell. We also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you as He has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Don't you love that? God's faithfulness and turning it around to the people and say, God has been good to you. Now you be faithful to God. I want to take a a moment this morning and look at several things. When we're speaking about a legacy, and no doubt Joshua left a tremendous legacy, not just for the next generation of people in whom he was leading, but has left a legacy for us. I would hope over these past six weeks that we also have been challenged and encouraged by his lesson of faithfulness And that I hope that we have taken some of the truths contained from his life and apply them to our own life that God would receive the glory. So he left a legacy, not just spanning the next generation, but he also left a legacy that has passed many generations up until this very present time. 
But I want to show you as we consider a legacy, and not just look at Joshua's legacy, but consider how we may be legacy builders also in our own life, I think that there are several things that we can take from his life. And the first thing is this. He understood the need. If we're going to build a legacy, if we are really concentrating on leaving a godly mark on our family, on our church, on our community, on the kingdom of God, if we are intending on leaving a lasting effect long after we're gone, I think the first thing we have to do is to recognize the need of a godly legacy. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, In fact, we're going to be studying this very verse Wednesday night. When he writes to the Philippian believers, he says, Join in following my example. For there are many who have become the enemies of the cross of Christ. Join in following my example. For there are many, he says, who have become enemies of the cross of Christ. Now think about this. Joshua knows that his time of departure is about at hand. He knows he's about to die. And knowing he's about to die, he knows that when he as his faithful leader is is removed out of the picture, he knows those people. He knows people. He knows that they have been greatly blessed. They're sitting in a great land. They're living on prime real estate and all around them are unbelievers and pagans. And I believe Joshua understood the importance of saying, hey, wait a second, one day I'm going to be gone, and these people are going to need a leader. These people are going to need a real, tangible example of faithfulness because they are surrounded by pagans and unbelievers. Let me tell you something. What was true in Joshua's life then is even as much true today. One day you're going to be gone. That's a promise from God. For it is appointed that all of us have a date with God. Every one of us at some point in our life is going to die. We're, we're, our, our worldly influence is going to be gone. Our, our presence here, this tent, this tabernacle, this body, is going to be removed. It's going to be folded up. And praise God, as believers, we know that we have a habitation in heaven. But as each one of us considers our own mortality in the sense of this earthly life, we also have to remember, what's going to happen when I'm gone? What's going to happen to my family, my children? What's going to happen to my friends? What's going to happen to my community? What's going to happen when I'm gone? Will they be able to look back on my life and have the necessary elements of faith that I have given them? in order to be able to thrive in faith in this world. I don't mean this morning for us to, I don't don't mean at all for this to be a morbid message, but I think that a wise person considers the fact that we one day will die. Psalm 90 verse 12. The psalmist says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Joshua realized that there was a need. These people without a godly influence are going to be given to who knows what. And if you read the Bible and the book of Judges, that's what happened. 
After Joshua was gone and after the generation beyond Joshua, the people began to fall into idol worship and began to live like the pagans in whose land they had previously dwelled. He understood the need. Do we understand the need of living our life and investing our life for the purpose of leaving a godly legacy, a lasting example of true faithfulness in Christ? Second thing, he invested his time wisely. As I told you out of Psalm 90, verse 12, that we need to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Today is a day that I have to live and breathe, and what am I doing? What am I doing today that has eternal impact? What am I doing today? What does my calendar look like? What am I doing in my decisions and my choices? What am I doing with my mouth and my hands that is investing in something eternal? And to be honest with you, we may not give much thought to that. We may think only in terms of the physical and the temporal. Am I just getting through today? I don't believe God intends on us just getting through today. I believe God wants us to prepare and to plan and to invest in eternity. You know, the person that strives to live a godly legacy, the person that strives to leave a godly legacy, does not always get to see all of its fruit. But they live their life and invest their life for the purpose that there will be some fruit. Even though they don't get to see all of how their investment paid off in this life, they live their life nonetheless to ensure that there will be fruit. He invested, he understood the need and he invested his time wisely. He was prepared for death and even when that enemy reared its head, he was there ready. Whatever comes my way, disappointment, Difficulty, obstacles, death to be ready. The third thing, he used his position to move others to God. Look at this. He says to them, God has been faithful. I have been leading you. God has been good throughout all that he has done to you. And now, as your leader, I want you guys to consider your faithfulness to God. That's what he told them. Can I tell you something interesting about Joshua? For those of you that, that are in a place of leadership, or just try to look at this through my eyes, okay? Because I want to read something to you, and I want to tell you how I would respond, okay? And how I would have responded differently than Joshua. Joshua said, to fear the Lord, to serve Him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods of the people of the land in whom you dwell. And notice what happens. The people answered and said, Far be it from us, in verse 16, that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. That's a good reply, isn't it? Joshua says, Be faithful, serve the Lord only. And what do they say? Far be it from us to serve any god but the Lord. They even say in verse 17, This is why God has been so incredibly good to us. Verse 18, further expounding on God's goodness to them. This is a great answer. If I was talking to you and you came into my office and, and I was sharing to you and you said, you know, Pastor, I need some advice. You know, if I turned to you and I said, hey, here's the deal. I want you to fear God. Serve Him with faithfulness and truthfulness and sincerity. 
And put away all of those other things that may be competing for that place in your life of devotion and allegiance that he deserves. And if you turned to me and said, well, you bet I'll do that. Far be it from me because of how good God has been to me. I'm going to do that, Pastor. If you said that to me, that would make my day. Make my week. I would be able to truly say, God, thank you so much that this one person has seen what a faithful life for you is and they have told me, I'm going to do it. But Joshua doesn't respond like I did. They said, okay, here it is. We're going to do it. We will do all that we are required to do and we can't even imagine ourselves doing something that is not serving the Lord. And you know what Joshua says? You can't. Verse 19, you cannot serve the Lord for He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods and He will turn and do you harm and consume you after He has done you good. You know what Joshua has just done? He's extended a challenge. The people have accepted the challenge and he reaches back, takes this big old bucket of cold water and throws it all over their commitment. That seems odd. If you come in and talk to me and I share with you what it is to live a life of devotion to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you say, okay, I'll do that, what would you think if I turned to you and said, mm, you can't? Guys, here's the thing. Joshua was not telling them they couldn't serve the Lord. Obviously, He's calling them to serve the Lord. He's not playing some cruel joke where he asks them to serve the Lord and say, oh, psych, you can't do it. And yes, people do still say psych. He wasn't doing that at all. You know what he was doing? He knew the people. Nobody outside of God himself knew these people better. And Joshua, no doubt, with this awesome speech, this awesome recounting of God's faithfulness, no doubt the people were all worked up and excited, remembering and being reminded once again of God's faithfulness. And no doubt there had to be this overwhelming response to say, hey, wait a second, yes, that's us. We will live with faithfulness. But Joshua knew that God is not pleased simply with a declaration of our mouth. Joshua knew that far too often throughout the history of his people, they have said one thing and done another. Joshua was not saying you can't serve God. He was saying God wants you to go beyond a verbal commitment. I don't want this to just be the words of your mouth, but to be the containment of your heart. That's what Joshua was saying. And how tempting, how tempting it is sometimes. And maybe even for you, as you sit in the pews sometimes, to hear a sermon that hits you and you say, you know what, today, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this change. Today, I'm going to make this decision. Today is a day of commitment to me. And you get all worked up and all excited. I've done it. I've been there. Make that commitment in my heart to God. Walk out the door. And no sooner than I get in my car do I forget or fail to live up to my commitment. Joshua is saying, if you're doing this, it's the real deal, guys. He's not letting them get by with simply a declaration of their mouth, but reminding them that God is holy, He does take words seriously, and He is looking for a life of dedication that goes beyond the mouth and one that is in the heart.
Joshua used his position to move people to a commitment of Christ. He moved people to a great level of commitment. You say, well, I'm not a leader. I don't have a great position like Joshua does. There was a man in Scripture. Kind of an interesting cat. He ate funny food and wore funny clothes. He had a funny haircut. Some people thought he was crazy. And yet that man moved out of the wilderness and went to the River Jordan and started telling people to turn from their sins and turn to God. That man was not born into a great place by the world standards of prosperity. He was not a man who was known for his eloquence of speech. He was a man who decided that I'm going to do what God has called me to do and I'm going to use whatever position in life I have to move them to a greater commitment to God and to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. That man is John the Baptist. You may not have the position that Joshua did, but whatever place in life you are, wherever you're at, you have some kind of influence and I pray that as we consider a legacy that we would understand there's a need for it. That we would understand the importance of investing our time wisely and that we would understand God wants me, God wants to use me to move people to a greater commitment to His Son for God's glory. The last thing. He led by example. Verse 15, And if it seems evil for you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. You know one of the important things about a legacy as we contemplate that this morning. One of the most important things about a legacy is that a true legacy goes well beyond the words that we say. The, word, the understanding of a legacy is backed up and supported by the life of faithfulness that we live. A legacy is built not on words, but on actions. It is, it is, it, it, they should match up together. Joshua is not saying this is good for you, but I'll go live the way I want. He understood his position. He understood his place. And in doing that, he says, you do what you're going to do. If you choose to sin against God, you choose. You sin. But I'm standing today as a voice of faithfulness for God to say that even though all those around me may choose to live a godless life, a pagan worship, even though those around me may think what I'm doing is foolish, I am convinced and I'm sold out and I'm leading my family in the path of righteousness. But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. In chapter, 25, in chapter 24, the word serve or one of its derivatives is used 
15 times. The word serve, or one of its derivatives, is used in this chapter 15 times. And if you look, there aren't a whole lot of verses in this chapter. It almost works out to the word serve being used every other verse in this speech. What he's saying is this. Don't let it just be the words of your mouth. Don't just get all frothed up because of a message. Don't just get all caught up in the moment and say something that you're not really going to follow through with. Live your life by a faithfulness that goes beyond here and inhabits your heart. He understood the great need. Friends, there is a great need today. There is a great need of a godly legacy. There is a tremendous drought, if you will, it appears, of godly examples. Do we know that? There is such a need in our society, our country, for godly mothers and fathers. There is, guys. Your ch- what legacy? Let me ask you this. What legacy? If you only consider one question this morning, maybe it's this one. What legacy are you leaving from your life? What legacy are you leaving? We're all leaving some kind. Is it sanctified? Is it one that is going to help somebody else to a closer commitment with Christ? Is it one that is going to leave an example of how to endure and how to thrive in a world that doesn't know Christ? Have you been leaving, literally leaving a roadmap of faithfulness through your decisions and through your personal relationship with Christ? What legacy are you and I leaving? And remember this. Legacies are not just made with our mouth, but through our dedication and action as we commit ourselves to God, lead by example, understand the need, and invest our time wisely. You will never invest, you will never make a greater investment in life than the investment you make for eternity. Not only is the word serve used 15 times, but Joshua is referred to by God. In fact, you can see it where he says that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of God, died. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of God, please hear this as I, dis- as I close with this. Joshua was a great and mighty leader. Joshua followed God's command and saw the walls of Jericho fall without one tool applied to it. Joshua was the faithful leader that took the first steps at the front door of the promised land by leading the people into a ridiculous plan to walk into the middle of the River Jordan because God said so. He was a man of incredible faith, commanding the sun to stand still and the moon to hold its place. He was the man that when first tapped on the shoulder and said, we, got, we need someone to fight, Joshua, a previous slave, runs out and defeats the Amorites. Joshua was a warrior, was a great leader, was a faithful man of God. And yet what God says on his epitaph is nothing about his ability to lead. 
said nothing about the great accomplishment of the wall falling or the river parting. said nothing about that day unlike any other when the sun stayed there and the moon held its place. But the epitaph that God wrote on the tombstone of Joshua was a servant of the Lord. Maybe in our life we've got it all wrong. Maybe it's not about the big moments. Maybe our legacy is not to be defined by those big moments or those things that we may have been able to accomplish that people have recognized. Maybe our legacy is built off of that word. A servant of the Lord. I've known many people that have never accomplished great things by our standards. I know people that have never spoken to the masses and seen great revivals. I know people that have never written the greatest worship songs that brought people to their knees and made them contemplate their salvation. I have met people that have never served as pioneer missionaries in other countries, but I have met people who I could stand at the head of their casket and say that this person was a servant of the Lord. May our lives not be defined in only the big things that we may have been able to achieve. But may it be defined and may we live our life in such a way, day to day, inside and out, the ordinary, the mundane moments being sanctified for God. That we may say, or some may say about us, may we have written on our tombstone, may we have someone be able to say with a true heart, the servant of the Lord died. Joshua's legacy lasted beyond his life. The Bible tells us that those that outlived Joshua, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and those who outlived Joshua. What a great testimony. What are we doing to touch that next generation?